1: you're listening to the bow hunter planet podcast your gateway to the wonderful world of archery and bow hunting the bow hunter planet podcast would like to thank our outdoor partners for their support it's because of these companies we can keep this show educating entertaining and growing the archery heritage please check out these partners links in the description of this podcast now your hosts tim and dave enjoy the show
2: guys, welcome to the podcast today. We have a very special guest, uh, Tom Taylor from Sig Sauer, which is really cool for a lot of different reasons. But one of the other cool parts about today's podcast is that we're doing this in conjunction with our sister podcast, Gun Hunter Planet, which wouldn't make more sense for Sig to be on that show, right? But they have optics and ammo and other stuff I kind of want to talk about today with Tom, and I thought would be really cool uh, to share against, you know, both shows. So, Uh, Tom, welcome to the show,
3: man. How are you? I'm great, Dave. And no, we're not launching an archery product yet. So, (laughs) yet. (laughs) There was a yet in there, right?
2: A bolt with a bullet in it. That would be you go.
1: There you go. We'll come up with something,
3: I'm (laughs) sure.
2: So, the interesting thing, Tom, is that over the past, I don't know. I don't know. What you guys say? It's been like six months of kind of the gun hunter planet phase. And so I've been going through this thing where I've been trying to learn, uh, the gun industry as best I can. And I started doing what, what people do for archery, for us, when they go online, looking for new bows, I started doing the same thing, uh, in the gun world, watching all the YouTubers and learning about the different, uh, carry guns in the industry, hunting rigs, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, the P365, I came across a lot. It had a lot of great positive feedback, Um, and so I ended up picking it up myself and, you know, absolutely love the gun. And I I thought it was interesting that I'm sure it's one of your best selling guns right now, because it is everywhere. I see it's gone. Every time I go into a store, it's gone. You got to buy it within like minutes if you see it. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) one of the cool things about the gun, I guess I'll have you talk to us about that gun in a second, but real, real quickly, I noticed that I bought it in black and I was like, you know, I kind of wish I had in tan. And so when I, when I bought it, it looked like this. And then I ended up going on your website and getting the the tan one. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) It's like how easy it was like one bolt to swap it. And I pulled everything out. It was the easiest thing I've ever seen to make that change, but what a great gun. I, I mean, how did you guys, I guess, get to this gun?
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's one of the core principles at SIG because, you know, SIG can has, Probably about four times the industry average the number of engineers that work for our company versus the the industry average, and so we have a lot of design and engineering. You hopefully see that in a lot of things that we do with military products. And I mean, heck, we're you know trying to win the U.S. military machine gun contract as we speak. We'll hope to know on that by the end of the year. But there's a lot of innovation and a lot of really good people here, and you know, so Ronco and our CEO. When I first got here seven years ago, I said, "Man, we're, the company's really missing a striker-fired pocket pistol." And we had the P two thirty eight and P uh, nine thirty eight, which were good—you know, sort of mini nineteen eleven pocket pistols, but not in the striker-fired world, like a, an MP shield or or something like that. And and so I really wanted to do the project. And he said, "Well, I'm not going to do it unless we can come up with an innovation." And so he asked me, "What would that be?" And and so we started talking about it. I said, "Well, the biggest." thing we could improve on in a pocket pistol's capacity and then, and then that's where the, the engineers took off and they, they started with a magazine uh, instead of a gun and they redesigned a, a very thin uh, you know, very s- small magazine that would hold 10 rounds and plus one in the chamber. So we came back to Ron Cohen and said, hey we've got an idea you know we can, we can launch a gun that traditionally carries you know six or seven rounds at the most and we can we can have 10 and then one with one, with one in the chamber or 11 with one in the chamber, and uh, he launched the project. And and uh, you know, it was an immediate success. Uh, it was a SIG, you know, which which gives it a good head start, but it was innovative. You know, it was the first gun, you know, to have uh, a, a 10 round magazine, one in the chamber. We've, we've since launched other variants of it that have you know 12 or 15 uh rounds and and so forth. So that was a lot of what people were looking for. They were looking for a quality uh pocket pistol, they were looking for. Something that's more shootable, uh, a little more accurate, a little more shootable, and and most importantly, more capacity. And so uh, you mentioned it was one of our best sellers. It's not one of our best sellers. It's the best selling gun in the market right now. Not not just Sig. And to your point, when you walk into a gun store these days, uh, finding a variant of a 365 is uh, not th- not that easy.
2: <laughs> no, oh, yeah. it's not.
3: And I, I don't know.
2: See, the I know the guys here haven't been searching like I have for this recently. So. When I came across the gun, I, I purchased it and I love the gun. It's a great gun. And then I start researching a little bit more and I found out you guys did this SAS variant and I am, you know, I'm going to share the screen cause it's hard to understand if you don't see it. And I'm sharing this for the guys, not for you, Tom, of course, yeah. but so it looks like this guy's and it's got, it's, it's basically smooth on both sides. And what they did is if you notice, there's no sights, right? There's nothing on here, but watch, yeah. watch this. Oh, it's wow. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's like the coolest engineering. I mean, it's, they built it like into, you can see it here. Yeah. So you're basically, <laughs> it's so cool. You're like shooting through mm-hmm. almost yeah, like that.
3: It, it also, it's a great story because that, that site has been around for many, many years uh, from an outside vendor that, that we knew. And uh, it hasn't had a lot of commercial success. But our engineers were able to actually, you know, design a gun around the site and, uh, you know, it does what it's supposed to do. So if you're if you're trying to aim that and hit a target at 50 yards, you know, it's not the best system in the world. But if you're trying to, you know, have an encounter from, you know, two to 10 yards, which is what it's intended for, for self-defense, uh, it's a great system. And, you know, the, the all the control, the takedown lever and the slide catch were both minimized, so there's you can you can see them there, but they're you know you can't really even feel them when you engage the gun, and so um, yeah, and then when you look at that top, it's like one of my mentors early in the industry said when you're designing a pocket pistol, it should feel like a bar of soap around all the edges, and that's what this thing feels like, and so um, you know the beauty I, I didn't address part of one of your questions a while ago is that you know the beauty the beauty of all these guns, whether it's a P365 or a P320, they're all modular. You know, we, the 320 was the original modular gun going all the way back to the P250 uh, about 10, 12 years ago, which was a gun that never had a lot of commercial success because it was a combination of a polymer gun with a hammer, hammer fired mechanism, Uh, but it was modular. And um, same engineer, young engineer that uh, designed the P250 uh, all those years ago. Uh, is now our vice president of uh, engineering here at the mother company at SIG Sauer. He, he's a Austrian, was part of the German organization. And uh, so he brought that knowledge of modularity to the P320, which then won the U S military modular handgun, you know, because of its flexibility. And then we don't, we haven't advertised the 365 as much as a modular gun until recently, but yeah, you, you drive out that one pin in the back with a, a paper clip or a, uh, you know, a more, uh, a more formal tool, but anything yeah. <laughs> small like that will drive that little pin out and you, 365 is modular and hence your, uh your FDE uh, grip module that uh, you can put on there or, or many other aftermarket accessories that can, you can, you know, build your own configuration with either gun.
2: Yeah. So, cool. No, so cool. cool.
3: So, so speaking of history, what's
1: the history of Sig Sauer itself?
3: So that's a, that's a great question. And, and one, when I, Start presenting to a group of people. I, I always say, how many people know the history of Smith and Wesson? If I've got a room of twelve or fifty or hundred or or more, and very few hands go up in the room, so it's kind of a the reason is it's kind of a mixed history of, of in a lot of ways uh, boutiquey sort of companies. So the original company is the second oldest gun company in the world, continuously operating gun company in the world. Everybody knows the oldest, right? Beretta, five hundred years, one passion, all that. It's been around forever but the second oldest gun company is J P Sauer and son. So that was a German company, uh, basically hunting rifles in Europe since 1751. It goes all the way back that far. So also then uh, Swiss, a Swiss industrial group SIG uh, translated differently, obviously in Switzerland, but uh, um, that company was founded in 1853 as a wagon wheel company. Hmm. And uh They decided uh, about five or six years later, they wanted to try to bid on a uh, Swiss army contract for for a a rifle and uh, lo and behold, they won it. And so they became a gun company and uh, quickly that business overtook their wagon wheel business. And so these two companies, uh, one in 1751 and one in 1853, operated separately until about 1975 when they had a a joint project uh, to to build a handgun. of the the great history of the company is uh you know sig the swiss arm of the company in 1949 launched the p210 uh still in production today uh, manufactured here in america in new hampshire where we are Um, but that's arguably the greatest production gun ever built um still in service with the french military to this day and um yeah so it's a it's a rich history in 75 uh, they came together built the the some of the P series classic guns, the 220, the 239, mm-hmm. some other guns, which ultimately led to the, the P226, which then in the mid 80s became the gun of the Navy SEALs, the uh, military variant called the MK25, which really was the first thing that put put SIG on the map, maybe the P210. But when the US Navy SEALs start carrying a gun, obviously that made big headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that made big <laughs> news. And then uh, also in about 85, uh, uh, there was a, distri- a distribution arm open in the U.S. called S- uh, Sig Arms, uh, started di- distributing the German guns, very expensive, very nichey, uh, you know, German made, and uh, it really wasn't a very successful company. Uh, when our current ownership bought the company in 2000, it was a $50 million company losing about $10 million a year. Uh, so when I, I was educated in Texas, but that's not a very good business model. And, math is uh, math, yeah. Uh, math math <laughs> is math. And uh, so, yeah. So, our owners who own 17 different brands within their ownership group Sour Rifles, Blazer Rifles, Diana, uh, uh, Air Guns, uh, Myopa Optics, and a number of other niche companies. When they were negotiating for the deal in 2000, they basically didn't want SIG Arms because it was such a loser uh, financially. And uh, so they kept negotiating. They finally bought. The company as an add-on to the deal for one Dorschmark. So, wow. <laughs> so what you see today as Six Hour was originally purchased by our current owners for that. So, I think that's been a fairly good return <laughs> on investment.
0: Yeah, they did over. <laughs> so, but
3: the key to it was from 2000 to 2004, the company went through five CEOs, and 2004, the company hired our current CEO Ron Cohen. He's now been here, um, you know, since 2004. So, you know, 17 years here. And uh, Ron really began a crazy journey. Uh, when he came here, uh, I think there were about 80 employees. And just to try to get things restarted, he actually did a little downsizing to about 60 employees in the U.S. And, uh, you know, long story short, he realized the guns were too expensive and began trying to uh, manufacture some of the parts here in the U.S., the slide being the most important critical part. So, called Germany said, do you mind if I make slides? And they said, no, feel free. And he said, can you send me the drawings? And they said, no. (laughs) So even had to back, you know, reverse engineer the slides. And and so from that point, the rest is history. He began building all the guns in the U S and so oddly enough, about a year ago uh, we actually closed the German facilities and er everything is done in the U S here in New Hampshire for the firearms, Arkansas for the ammunition, um, Oregon for the optics and uh, suppressors are made in New Hampshire. So it is a sort of a reverse story that it's all American made. Uh, The the owners are still German and own all the other companies, but Sig Sauer, as you know it today in the U.S. and and sold worldwide, uh, the only guns that are not still completely made in the U.S. are some guns that have to be made in Switzerland uh, for the Swiss Army. So we still have an operating facility in Switzerland that, that Sig U.S. Manages and controls.
1: Makes crazy sense. And, folks, and who uh, would have thought a uh, a company actually moving to the United States for production? Right. We don't oh, hear man. that too much.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely a different story than most people. So it's it's a proud fact for us, though. Absolutely. Our, our, our CEO Ron Cohen is uh, he's Israeli uh, by by his family and and descent, um, but he is he's been here for many many years. Um, came to the U.S. actually came out of the Israeli military after several years of service in the late seventies, early eighties, his wife got a job at IBM in New York. And he, she said, I'm going to the U S you, but you want to come with me or not. And so they came <laughs> to the U S and, uh, he's, he's a young engineer started trying to, uh, sell a, a, a 1911 design and, and, uh, ended up at a small company at that time, a rifle company called Kimber and, uh, launched a 1911. And obviously that worked pretty well. And, uh, Uh, Then in 2004, he was contemplating moving back to Israel, and and the owners of SIG called him and said, hey, would you at least swing by Germany and talk to us? And he ended up getting hired for the job, and uh, he's he's still the uh, very passionate, very hands-on CEO of the company.
1: Yeah, and what a great job he's done, obviously. I mean, you guys have really taking it to the next level. I mean, you, you guys have a, a, I mean, you're just well-known, right? I mean, it wasn't always that way, but Sig Sauer today is a, is a standard in the industry for what you guys are putting out there in your product line. um, There's not a lot that you guys don't have and that doesn't, and that's not just firearms. I mean, you guys get into a lot of different types of products, optics and binos, which we'll, which we'll talk about here, but it's great to see that kind of uh, expansion on there.
3: Yeah. It's been amazing. I mean, I mean, the, you think about it at about the time i came over in 2015 the company was launching a p320 uh, optics ammo suppressors air guns our our rifles are they're in great use in military service and civilian markets the mpx the mcx um that's you know seven things that happened within about a two-year period all organic uh you know designed and and even stuff that was sourced uh, in the early years like our optics were all quality engineered uh by our engineers and, and with our engineers in factories in, in Asia, uh, uh, not China, um, but in Asia. And uh, and so, yeah, it was a really incredible uh, undertaking. Ron went out and hired experts, uh, you know, Andy York, who's still the president of our optics division had run Leupold for 10 years, uh, sales marketing and, and product development. He came over, um, you know, and, and other experts in, in the other categories who were very well-established within those categories. And and it was a pretty massive undertaking. And then, you know, on the heels of that, we had this marketing idea called Legion. Um, We thought we'd launch this really expensive, high-end, unique gun with a club you could join. And uh, we thought we'd sell three or 4,000 of those 226s and 229 pistols. And in the first 18 months of that program, which launched not long after I got here, uh, we, we ran that program. And in the first eighteen months, we sold seventy thousand P two two nine and P two sixes. And fast forward to today, most of our product line has Legion products, or if they don't, it will soon. Um, uh, within the next few months, we're going to have a P three sixty five Legion edition, which will be really cool. And but more uniquely, we have one hundred and twenty five thousand members of the Legion Club.
1: Wow. So that's
3: like our sort of our VIP club. And you have to buy, you can't just join it. You have to buy the gun, be a member of the club. We do things like called Camp Legion, uh, where we bring Legion members into New Hampshire and let them have sort of an exclusive factory tour, meet our CEO, meet all of our management staff, shoot at SIG Academy. That's something we haven't even talked about yet. We have a 140-acre training facility with uh, it does everything from handgun 101 and, and rifle 101 <laughs> all the way up that's to, cool. you know, any given day, you could walk in down there and you could see, you know, SEAL Team Six, um, you know, the British SAS, the Grom, oh uh, you know, FBI HRT unit training down there. So, you know, soup the nuts uh, from a thousand yards to indoor pistol range. And uh, next wow. summer fall, we're going to be opening a forty thousand square foot Sig Experience Center, complete with a massive retail store, thirty in, inside public wow. ranges. And uh, a museum, so um, yeah, it's been. It's well, been a, that's why i refer to it as a rocket ship ride. So, so, you, can, so you,
1: so you see, you guys see why I'm a fanboy, right? <laughs> right. I, I was they, gonna say I can almost guarantee you you're gonna have another Legion member after this because Dave's Dave's hopping right off this podcast and he's buying it. i no, So I'm definitely coming so to do. The good there, I, I, right? I got, that's I got awesome. onto, I got into Sig probably 2013 when I was looking for an AR. And the M400 was the one that stood out to me, so I bought the Magpul okay. edition. And then yep. shortly after, I'm like, you know, what? I need a new handgun. And that's what I haven't heard much talk about is that I got the the 1911 Tac Ops, and that is my favorite gun by far. So these guys are all cool. talking, oh, I'm going to get a new hair. I'm like, did you? Why don't you go get a Tac Ops? Why don't you? I mean, they yeah. can. <laughs> well, it's interesting
3: because you know everybody knows about the 320 and the military contract and 365 and M400 and a lot of those products, but. You know our 1911s are stellar. I mean, if you think about it, uh, the guy that built Kimber, that took the the original 1911 design to Kimber and, and built that company for ten years, came to SIG. And, and while we aren't known for 1911s, it was kind of a no brainer for him to, uh, you know, build 1911s here. So uh, they're they're. Uh, uh, I would say that our our engineering resources allowed us to take some of those things. And no no no, I'm not disrespecting Kimber at all. It's a fine company. But obviously Ron brought that knowledge here and and plugged that into the engineering base that he built. And uh, yeah, it's been, the 1911s are phenomenal. It's just kind of a, we don't talk about it much, but they're a phenomenal product. I love it.
2: When talking about, so Tom, how does it work with ammo? This is one thing I was trying to figure out um, before the show started and I, I'm going to share your screenshot here, your website, and this just shows your lineup of ammo, just some of it. I don't even think this is all of it, but um, my question is when you're looking at like you know, like you, so you see this 357 Sig. Does that mean you guys develop this round?
3: So 357 Sig goes way back. Uh, that was a that was a, a partnership uh, agreement, I believe it was with Federal, but I could be wrong. It goes way pre, way predates me at Sig. But uh, when you see 357 Sig or 40 S&W, those are usually collaborations between, uh, you know, a, a gun company and an ammo company. And so SIG, the 357 Sig was was a collaboration uh, many many years ago. So that one is not a unique design. So, but what what is unique of all these calibers that you see, and these are these happen to be our hollow point, what we call V Crown. We have but we have full metal jacket. We have hunting ammunition. We have uh, 300 blackout and 5.56 ammo. So yeah, as you scroll down there, you can see all the things I'm talking about. So we have all all the manufacturing for all these things. We we make We currently can make everything in Arkansas except primers, but we'll be opening new primer facilities in uh, probably within the next two or three months because everybody in the industry who makes ammo kind of got screwed on primers because it just wasn't enough. That was, you know, if you ever heard that, that was the constraining factor for all these kind of like the chips in the vehicles, right? hundred (laughs) percent. That's a great analogy. And that's right. Nobody makes their own powder. It's, you know, powder's plentiful, but primers were the constraining factor. So, as Ron usually does, he said, I'll never be caught with my uh, pants down again on that. So, so we're building them. It's complicated because you have to build them as bunkers and, you know, they have to be very safe because you are dealing with, a, with a lot of combustible materials and so forth. So it's very complicated. A lot of, a lot of uh, government regulations had to come into play, but we'll be 100% self-sustained other than buying our own powder uh, down there. It's, it's a facility. We started with one building, Uh you know, we're currently about to finish uh, buildings two and three, and um, within the next six months, we'll have five five buildings uh, down there. Um, you know, that are all sort of in one uh, commercial uh, park uh, there, where we have all of our ammo uh, facilities. We make all the X-ray sites uh, because we deal with hazardous materials like uh, primers and, and gunpowder. Uh, tritium is also a, a hazardous product, and so there's only Uh, about five licenses in the United States for tritium. So we were able to get a tritium license. And because that organization is used to dealing with hazardous materials, all of our sites are made in Arkansas and they get shipped up to to New Hampshire for the guns. So, uh, yeah, so it's a very resourceful organization. Uh, But what I, the the point is, is that uh, with the U.S. military machine gun uh, project, we are launching our first proprietary round uh, which on the commercial market will be called the 277 SIG Fury. Um, this is a uh, submission that was made to the US military, that would, which will be called the 6.8 Hybrid to them. Or if it wins the machine gun contract, it'll get an M, M class designation as military products do. But uh, basically, we took a brass round, we put a steel cap on the end of the bullet. Um, that allowed us to put a uh, rocket booster amount of uh, powder in the base of the bullet. Oh, wow. And we're launching a uh, 308 or 65 sa- uh, size bullet. Um, basically at the same ballistics. Uh, so, so just using a, a, a 308 size bullet as comparison, you have the same energy and ballistic performance as a 300 wind mag, but out of a bullet that's this big instead of this big. And so uh, then you can multiply that. And our other machine gun offering is, is called a 338 Norma hybrid. And so you've taken a bullet that's this big and made it into the productivity of a bullet called a 50 caliber this big. And so the reason we were able to do that is our engineers determined that brass was really not strong enough in those size packages to put enough powder in to contain that combustion. But if you put a little steel cap about that big on the end of it, i don't know if you're everybody'd be able to see this but for example yep, okay, be, but that that bullet has a little steel cap on it and that so that's the hybrid ammunition it looks like that and that little bullet that's the size of a 308 uh will give you you can shoot an elk at 600 yards with this so you probably wouldn't attack an elk with a 308 at 600 yards you could but not optimal energy, but you'd prefer a thirty out six or a three three hundred win mag, and that bullet will give you that performance. So the objective was the military wanted to design a bullet that that could defeat the new uh, Chinese body armor uh, that some of our enemies are using, and uh, just to give us more ballistic uh, capability in a lighter package. And it is lighter than standard ammo because the brass is paper thin. Uh, it's captured by the barrel. The combustion happens in the steel, and you're going from about sixty thousand psi to to well north of 100, uh, oh a hundred. Oh That's that's and an so,
1: exponential increase when you talk about the energy wow. production out of that. It's, that's it's an huge. innovation
3: that's never yeah. happened. I mean, you know, when when you know when Hornady introduced Superformance or whatever, everybody was turning backflips because it was a uh, you know seven percent increase in ballistic capabilities. Well, this is. This is, you know, at the lowest common denominator, this is a 40 or 50% increase in power. And so, uh, yeah, the U.S. military likes it. They don't have to change out their equipment. Uh, The other option they're considering is a a plastic bullet. Um, And so, you know, we'll see probably within the next two or three months which direction the U.S. military goes. But, uh, you know, we we hope it's our way and we'll see soon. Plastic's
1: bad, right? They can't go with that. It hurts the environment. But uh, <laughs> we don't like we don't like
3: plastic. We hate but, plastic here at Sig. If it's enough, it's fine. There you
1: yeah. go. So now, did you say that that you're going to produce that in all calibers or just select calibers?
3: So it'll we'll launch it in the U.S. military caliber, which is is a six eight hybrid, and then a, and shortly behind that a three thirty eight Norma hybrid, and in the commercial market it'll be called two seventy seven Sig Fury, and, okay. and it'll Got be a it. phenomenal hunting round a phenomenal sort of prs round but then the the, te- the technology can transfer to anything you know we could make we could right. now take long action hunting rifle you know and and take a, a 30-06 bullet and and make it a sig fury round and you you've now made that 30-06 into a you know probably something in the range of a 338 norma and so you know it's just it's not about Necessarily needing a bigger bullet or whatever to, to kill animals. Of course it
1: is. Not just. Kidding. Kidding.
3: <laughs> but it's about energy. It's about it is, energy right. on the animal and, and and having that extra energy. And yeah, bigger is always better, right? <laughs> uh, you know, believe me, shooting a bison with a four hundred grain Smith and Wesson five hundred just fun, you know. But <laughs> um, but but it, it del- it's delivering flatter bullets, faster bullets, yeah. the deviation in the wind. I mean, a six five Creedmoor. Versus a 277 Sig Fury has six feet less drop at a thousand yards. So, so, I, well, So deal. when
1: when I think about that though, I start thinking about the optic. So how, what does that do? Like, do you have to do you have to change the way that you set up the optic in order to shoot that round? Then,
3: not necessarily. Well, yes, the dope is all going to be different. I mean, you're zeroing it just like anything else. You zero yeah. it the way you like zero guns an inch high, a hundred or whatever. But then. But then, you know, then you're having to understand, you know, it's got different dope because the drop is so much less. And so right, right. I know, I know, like, i got a solution for that in a minute, by the way. But, uh, but, you know, when I was, I went out to Thunder Ranch with Clint Smith one time and, you know, he made a, he has a great drill that he does because I don't know if you guys ever know Clint Smith or ever heard of Thunder Ranch. He's, he was a very famous sniper in Vietnam and he's one of the most well-known sniper trainers as well as other disciplines. And uh, on his long range, he actually has a target set up at about 780 yards. And he has a place sort of behind a, an overhanging tree limb about halfway down range. And it really distracts you when you look through your scope. And you, you look at him when when he's teaching on it, and you say, that limb's in my way. And he says, no, it's not. And, you know, you, he says, it's not in your way. It's in your scope. But your bullet's going to fly over the top of that limb. Yeah, so he, yep. He uses that, you know, to follow vapor trails, and understand that your bullet, you know, has a different trajectory. So, yeah, all those things are going to come into to play because if you shot a bullet that's dropping six feet less at a thousand yards, that limb actually might come into play depending on the size of the branches. So there's definitely things you have to understand. And, and as all long range shooters know, you're going to go out and you're going to know you better know exactly what you're dialing in, whether you're shooting PRS or whether you're hunting based on on your bullet speeds and all that. Unless you buy a six-hour BDX system and then you just plug in all the the uh, specifics into your scope and, and you range it with a range finder and it tells your scope exactly uh, what to do. So okay. We gotta, look, we gotta
1: take a look at that. Dave. What, what was that one called?
3: <laughs> Six bdx system. So you so it operates a couple of different ways. One way is you can you can just put in uh, basically your your Caliber, your barrel length, your your bullet type, your speed, and all that kind of stuff into an app that comes on that you can do on your on your phone, and uh, then you sync that with a range finder. You range your target, and uh, it's it's it then has a Bluetooth connection scope. So once you're synced, you can put no your phone away, no and and you have a range finder or, or a range Jeez. a range finder or a range finder binocular. Uh, it's paired with your your scope. So if you're shooting with someone, they can range for you on an animal or a target. If you're shoot hunting alone, you range it. Uh, the scope has, uh, on the vertical, it has 72 little red hole points. So you'll see when you range, uh, a new range, the dots will run up and down and then it'll settle at at your hole point. So if you're at a hundred yards and range it, your dots going to, your red dots going to be right in the cross here. If you range it again at a target that's 400 yards away, you'll see this these red dots sort of flash to let you know it's ranging, and it'll settle you know whatever distance down the vertical and give you your hold point. If you put barometrics in, it'll also give you nine wind holds on on either either way on the horizontal. So it's not a free floated you know reticle, but it'll give you a, a vertical hold and a horizontal hold to let you allow for wind a little bit. So you just raise the scope up and you put the dot on your target and you pull the trigger. So, you know, a lot of traditionals say, well, that's a, that's a lazy man's way to do it. And I'm like, I yeah. don't care. <laughs> uh, so. up. And, and that, that system, that system can be set up for, for rifles, uh, slugs and archery so
1: i was just uh, gonna yeah uh, that archery thing's very intriguing from a from a I'm, a I'm a traditionally a crossbow shooter so that's very intriguing so you're, you're just, saying uh, all the bdx combo kits are like that
3: yeah so so the other way it works is you can also set up you can do a preset hold so if you do the presets you have six dots so the dots yeah. work like no lines and so you just you know if you're fourth dot down is 400 yards, so you just raise it up. So it doesn't give you an exact one dot. So it works either way. But as an example, yesterday uh, I had Chris Cobbett from Expedition Outdoors. I don't know if you guys know Chris yep. and Mark Heck over at Expedition. Well. <laughs> they were early, early adopters of the BDX system, and they've used it on um, their the their black rifle guns um, that, that they they do, their, um, uh, their muzzle loaders. CVA guns and, and you can, they can, do, you just program what kind of gun it is. But, but more importantly, uh, we were talking about crossbows yesterday and, and it makes shooting a crossbow, just a no brainer. And you put this on, you, you range it. Um, and so it's,
1: it's, I don't know how I didn't know about this. My, my mouth is dropping. So I'm looking at our website
3: <laughs> under a
1: thousand dollars. I can get this set up where we're talking about some of the competitor things that I've seen, right, where you're ranging it inside of the scope and that for crossbows and that kind of thing. I mean, they're, they're way more money than that. And this, this right. gives you the ability to have the rangefinder and the scope, and they're in sync with each other. That's just killer. Absolutely yeah, I,
3: killer. It's, there's, you know, some of the systems that exist in the past were one of two things. They were either very, very expensive or very, very heavy. Um, yeah, and
1: hard to operate, too, to set those things up and to to um dial them into where they need to be they were not very
3: user friendly yeah so we we launched this in the hunting segment so really they're you can use it in PRS but i mean they're really they're really designed for hunting but we will be launching uh in 2022 the the PRS versions of these things but i'll just give you my first experience when our our electronics in, um, engineers and electronics team and our our rifle product management team was at a, a media event. And while we were getting set up, I had not I played with it, but I hadn't really done a drill or anything. And so we had 10-inch plates set up at 100, 200, 300, and 400 yards, and a silhouette target at 500 yards. So I sat down on a bench, and our product manager had the range finder, and he, ran, he ranged at 100, and the dot came up you know right on the crosshair. And I was shooting a SIG semi-auto 716 uh, AR-10 rifle, so I didn't have to work a bolt or anything. Uh so he then ranged the 200-yard target, dot moved down a little bit, not not much. It's still near the crosshair, pulled the trigger, made the hit. 300 yards, moved down a little more, pulled the trigger, made the hit. 400 yards, it, now it's starting to move down, you know, down the vertical pretty far. Pulled the trigger, made the hit. And at 500 yards, you know, it's it's got quite a bit of drop, but the red dot's right there on the crosshair or on the, the vertical. Made the shot. So I, I made five shots at one, two, three, and 400 yard, four, and 500 yards. And he timed it. It was 29 seconds and uh, all one shot hits. And I was just blown away at how quickly the system worked that way. And it would have worked the same way on a bolt gun. that just happened to be shooting a semi-auto 308 rifle. But um, he, he, the question that blew me away at the end, and he, we did this with media all week, uh, we said, okay, what was your drop at 500 yards? And I looked at him and I said, I have no idea. No I, never, I, I never looked at the at the crosshair. Yeah. All I did was focus on the red dot, and pull the trigger, and I made five hits in 29 seconds, at, all the way out to 500 <laughs> yards. So if you're dialing dope or whatever you have to do, if you're, you know, if you don't intuitively know where to hold with, with your mill dots or whatever, there's no way you can be that precise, you know, out to 500 yeah. yards. And we could have kept going, you know, it, it would, it, it, it works. The system is really built, the hunting system is really built to, to work out to about 800 That's yards. So cool. I'm not supporting 800 yard, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying Hashtag, that but,
1: yeah, I got yeah but,
3: it. But, but so nobody send emails or, or comments or whatever but um, or do but send dave thomas yeah exactly <laughs> but uh but but it is capable of that performance out to eight, about 800 yards and the prs system will be obviously capable out well beyond that but uh no it's 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 People that use it, you know, it sounds a little intimidating, but it's really not. I mean, you have an app on your phone. It walks you through how to set it up. You sync the system, and then you know, once once you have all those those uh, your, your your bullet style, your barrel length, your you know, all the things in your in your phone, you put your phone away. So, say you're in the back country, you don't have reception, you don't need it because all your dope has now been downloaded into the rangefinder. It syncs with the scope. It talks to the dot, and the, and you know, basically, we say you know you just get the dot on target and pull the trigger. It that's takes incredible. all the guesswork out, and so uh, yeah, we've we've used it. it. It became you know it it really took the market by storm. Um, you know, it, in the early months, people were a little intimidated by the technology. And there's a couple states that don't allow it. I think Oregon is one, and maybe Idaho. They don't allow any kind of electronic. Needed.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. You got to check with your state state regulations on that. It's always like
2: that. Don't matter what we're talking about, electronics, maybe it a Yeah,
3: <laughs> it's exactly. But it's, but it's phenomenal. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that was like the 365. It was, it was game changing. And to this point, nobody's caught up with us on it. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we, we have it in our binos, we have it in, um, we have it in our range finders. And then just recently we, we launched, and again, and these things are things that you would think would be sort of no brainers, but, we recently launched uh, image stabilization binoculars, and we have 10 power Dang. and 16 power, and and just it's, it's nautical binocular technology has been around forever, but nobody's ever at an affordable price. Nobody's ever right. put it in a hunting bino, and so for you know between 700 on the 10 and and a thousand bucks or or so on the on the 16 you know you can get these binoculars that have image stabilization and I've I've yet to put it in someone's hand when they don't look through it and look at me and say oh and then you know I say tell them, you know okay now turn the image stabilization on and it just like you know when you're looking through binos at several hundred yards you know you're leaning on trees or tucking yeah, your arms or sure. doing whatever you do you turn this button and people look at me and they're like holy shit what just happened because yeah. the, the 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 vibration in a in a binocular it's it's why we use spotting scopes, right? You know, clip to your truck window when you're spotting, or or on a, bi- a tripod, or at least a bipod um, or, or monopod when you're out, you know, moving around. But it's because there's so much vibration, you can't get a clear image. And these binoculars, just like they're blown away. So we we got a chance to really. We, they've been on the market, but I don't know if you guys followed this or caught up with it. But last June, we did something called the Sig Hunter Games. Um, we went to Wyoming. We invited 20 celebrities and 10 uh, elite guides from that, that work with us from around the country. And we went to the Queen Mountain Ranch about an hour and a half east of Salt Lake City. We set up a course over about eight miles at about between 8,000 and 9,500 feet. We set up um, animal silhouette or sort of animal foam core targets with steel vitals. And we put people like Hoyce Gracie, the UFC, you know, Hall of Famer, Jiu-Jitsu guy, uh, Cowboy Cerrone, and Bullet Valentina, also from UFC. We had um, Matt Light, who was a football player for the Patriots, Super Bowl teams. Adam LaRoche, who's a baseball player, was also on the Buck Commanders with with those guys when they were doing their their uh, their deer uh, hunting show. Um, gold medal snowboarders, um, fishermen. Um, uh, Jack Carr, who's the writer, who's uh, got a series about to come out on Amazon Prime, former SEAL, Black Rifle Coffee Company had their team out there. And, and um, you know, Laura Zara, who's a five-time survivalist on Naked and Afraid, who's a legit shooter. Uh, she was there. Bullet Valentina, the UFC fighter, who's just a savage, but also the nicest person in the world, legit shooter. Uh, she was there. She's about 5'3", hmm. and she, you know, she would take all five of us oh, uh, all yeah. at once yeah. and kill us That's all. That's the way it <laughs> works, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's, dream, she's your dream woman, right? But uh she's she's Russian and uh but you know, she's on this thing and we we built these three-person teams and you had uh, you know, we we spread them out on the course and did sort of in, in golf vernacular had a shotgun start, but ours was a cannon. And uh we had we had uh 10 stages set up over eight miles. And uh, every 30 minutes, uh, the cannon, oh, sorry, every, yeah, every, um, every 45 minutes, there'd be a rotation. So 30 minutes to hike and 15 minutes to shoot. You get to a stage, you're, you have to start your stage from a location where you can't see your, your uh, targets. Cannon goes off, you run up to some other flags where you have a shooting position that spans about a, anywhere from a 20 to a 40 yard area. And you have to find your animals. In some cases, they were 100 yards out. In some cases, they were 450 yards out. Some cases, they were, you know, pushed back into the woods a little bit. And so, <laughs> the stress of having three people having to find two to three targets between one and one and 450 yards, find a shooting position, uh, not a, not allowed to use you know each other as rests. They had they had packs and uh, tripods and fence posts and trees or you know the bipods on their guns specifically. And um, yeah, it, we, it, it was an amazing event. If you ever get a chance to go out and look at it on our, uh, our YouTube channel, uh, Sig Hunter games. And uh, yeah, our purpose was though to, to a showcase the equipment, what it could do because ranging those targets was only capable uh, you know, with a BDX system, being able to shoot targets at those ranges in 15 minutes with three sure. shooters or three targets. Uh, and then move on and hike and get to the next one and and do all that. Um, but they were from so many different walks of life. Um, we had about when they all posted and did all their videos and we did our videos, we got about 33 million viewers uh, of the Sig Hunter games. Holy cow. Clearly none of which were you guys, but, uh, (laughs)
2: i was there i'm gonna tell you right now i was
3: watching for the with your binoculars
1: yeah it would be a participation trophy only for me there's no way i can compete (laughs) with that
3: well it was it was interesting because uh you know there was one stage that had about 900 feet of elevation gain over half a mile and you only had half an hour to do it and so it puts you in a real situation you get to the top of that climb and you got an animal to shoot you got to slow your heart rate down. You got to figure out how to how to get you know your gun set up and and uh, you know the the teams that won the team that won it was most successful. They had tremendous teamwork. They figured out how to spot. They figured out how to range for each other. They figured out how to how to set up their guns. And so uh, yeah, we're it was so successful that next year we're looking at at maybe expanding it to a second flight and, and opening that up to the public. Now there's only 30 spots. So, you know, it's it probably if someone wants to, to pay to take part of it in the public version of it, um, which we still haven't reached a final decision on that, but but that would be the, the second version of the the, the the test, if you will. And then longer term, we want to be able to open that kind of activity up to a number of locations, more people. But uh, yeah, you know, we, we pulled resources together from a lot of great partners that, that we work with and, um, you know. We want to be able to do more things like that where we allow and engage, you know, hunters, consumers, people that want to go out and, and you know, it's not easy for somebody to go out in their backyard or even on their farm and set up an obstacle course like that. Um, but we bring, you know, we bring a lot of uh, resources together to pull something like that off with target partners, uh, professional shooters, competitive people that understood how to put the, 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 the contest together, if you will, and how to score it. We had SIG Academy instructors serve as the safety officers with each team, and they knew where the targets were. And so, at five minutes, they were able to—they were allowed to help the teams find the targets if they hadn't found them within the, you know, ten-minute time period. And they had, but the downside was then they only had five minutes to shoot. Right. So obviously, there was a huge penalty for that. But uh, those are the kind of things we're trying to put together because you know, as as much as you talked about the SIG sour name, we're not. Smith and Wesson, and we're not Remington, and we're not Colt or Winchester or, or some of the the very very well known sort of institutional brands. We're we're a new brand, uh, you know. We're you know honestly we're larger than than most of those companies now, but we're not nearly as well known uh, from a brand recognition standpoint. If you're not a hardcore gun person, and so you know we're we're struggling to build our brand. Not struggling. That's not the right word. But we are building our brand but we're really not well known in the hunting categories. And so, you know, you guys are all, you know, extremely hardcore hunters. And, you know, there's a lot of things I'm telling you about that, that, you know, you're in the industry and you're in this game and you don't know about some of the things I'm telling you. And that's not on you. That's on the us at large and the world at large. Because when you think of SIG, you don't think of a, a, a hunting optic, much less an optic that does all those fancy things I talked about. You know, you don't think actually about both action rifle or ammo.
2: I do remember hearing about that system through Chris Cobbett actually, because he I remember him telling us. I can't remember if it was on a call with him or if it was on this podcast, but he he said that something was coming from SIG that was really big, and it had to do with the optics and it had to do with his crossbow. Because I remember talking about Expedition, but what, what you know, from Tim and I's perspective, this guy over here. You know, crossbow games, Sig. You know, Sig crossbow games with expedition there in know. there could be pretty sweet.
3: Just throwing it out there, and just throwing it. That that may or may not have been talked about yesterday. So when Chris was when Chris was here. Chris she lives here. Uh,
2: but, then, uh, hey, maybe just, they have to crawl up the hill uh, with the crossbow, take a shot, then pull out the P365 and pop a couple off on the right and left. You know, you got to mix and you, match
3: it. <laughs> you say that it's really funny because just for fun, uh, we had an 11th bonus stage uh, on the, the Hunter Games that they rotated through, and and on day one it was a two day event. Day one it was a thousand yard, uh, bonus target. Oof. Day two it was a bear attack, and we gave them a, a P320 ten millimeter, which is not on the market yet, and we had a, a track set up with an attacking bear. That's and so cool. So yeah. they're walking, they're walking along, and when they enter the you know the shooting area, this bear. Pops up, runs down this track, and you had about—I think you had 1.8 seconds to get three rounds on fur. Wow, Dave! There that's you so go, cool. man. There you this go. This is for
2: me. I love yeah. this idea.
3: So I started so talking awesome. to these
2: guys about bear guns. I'm like, "What do I need for a bear gun? What do yeah. I, you know?" I, well, and I just kept saying, <laughs> "You're the tag <tech> ops."
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, Tom. I, I you know, this conversation really strikes me because it, it relates back to something that that you said before we started the podcast, which is the crossover. Right between industries of hunters and fishermen and and gun hunters and all that kind of stuff, and it's it's very interesting where we and and myself included in this, you get stuck in thinking, okay, archery is archery, and I have to look there for what I want to do. But there's companies like yours out there that are creating those crossover products, um, you know, that that can go across everything, and and it's awesome to see that mentality in a company like yours where you're really promoting that hunting, right? That, that's what we love to see is we love to see companies that are out there promoting the hunting industry, um, helping new hunters come into it, making it easy and affordable for them. And kudos to you guys for doing that kind of stuff. So
2: and also, it's going to go a long way. But to throw out there, uh, you know, this concept that number one, you're joining us on this show, you know, and this show, obviously it's gun in it too, but bow is the big thing. This is the bigger show is the bow yeah. and plant show but you're smart enough to understand like, Hey, I should join that show. And let's do that. That's a good idea. Let's get in front of the bar- archers too. Why not? Why not? Uh, you know, we've reached out to tons of gun companies over the years and not a single one has ever said, Hey, let's jump on the show. They haven't even replied. So, I mean, this is, this is really important stuff. And I'm really happy to see you guys take, you know, thinking about that way and saying, how do we reach out to everybody across those markets? Cause let's be honest, if I'm a fisherman, if I'm a bow hunter, that doesn't mean I shouldn't be carrying with a concealed permit, my P365. Why would I not? Anything could happen out there, especially a fisherman. You don't know what you're going to come absolutely. up against who or absolutely. what animals or whatever,
3: you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, we definitely, you know, we, we, the good news is because we're sort of a, we're, we're a non-traditional company the company forms so fast. Uh, we, we do try to be open-minded. Um, you know, just today we had a, we had a big group talking about, what are the things we can do on both fronts you just mentioned new, new hunters and new shooters and and not just giving money to Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation which we, right. we they, were, they were the beneficiary of, of some donations we did uh, through the sig Hunter games and and we, we support a lot of the conservation groups but the conversation we were having is how can we be activists and not just you know write a big check I mean we're a big company now. It's it's I won't say it's easy because money's money, but you know we can always write checks for things we believe in. But 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 what can we do to get out there? And and you know these are backshops things a lot of people don't always think about. But you know over the last two years, there's something called excise tax. It's 11 percent of everything every firearm yeah. that we sell, and that goes to the government, which then in turn theoretically gets sent out to state you know fish and wildlife uh, department of natural resource whatever it's called by state and in the last couple of years it's i, don't, I didn't do the math on the the actual amount, but it's probably close to a billion dollars that have been poured back into the states and the states don't even know what to do with it it's, it's so much larger than it's ever been before and it's always been substantial and uh you know there's a tax you know just like tobacco tax or whatever goes into cancer research, excise tax, you know, thank goodness for Theodore Roosevelt, you know, it got, it all got gets pumped back into making our state's natural resources better. And uh, so we're, we contemplated today, let's let's identify some states that are forward thinking and, and how do we put together activist programs to be engaged in conservation and new hunters and uh, you know, field to fork, which is becoming a really important thing. Huge. People yeah. are, are, are understanding that that's something that's important with today's, you know, what we learned over the last year and a half was, with, you know, the COVID stuff and shortages and, and, and that sort of thing. So we, we have this extreme belief that we need to be very much involved in activism that way. And then, you know, what I would say to you is, if you looked at, you know, again, going back to the the hundred games as a microcosm of who we want to be. We had soldiers and sailors, seals, special forces, fishermen, snowboarders, skiers, snowmobilers, uh, TV stars, professional football and baseball players, um, you know, just a a number of different kinds of people involved in this thing. And those 33 million viewers I referenced were going to so many different kinds of people. And that is our effort to say that we, we don't, we we don't want to necessarily always just be involved in traditional marketing because let's face it, outdoor television, you know, print magazines, um, you know, those things are really who consume you know, who consumes information that way these days.
1: Nobody. The you know, yeah. gun
3: industry is probably the the maybe the only place there's some left, but not much. And and what we're doing right now on a podcast or. What we did socially with 33 million people's having a, people having access to the Sig Hunter Games content—that's that, what we're interested in. And you know, the guys that won the Sig Hunter Games, um, there was a fisherman and a snowboarder.
1: Love it! <laughs> I love it. That's pretty cool. So,
3: Scotty Lago and, and Justin Rackley were the were the two winners. Justin Rackley's part of Major League Fishing, and Scotty Lago is is like a I don't know four time Olympic gold or two time Olympic gold medalist and four time X-Game gold medalist. And uh I was briefing right here in uh, New Hampshire. And uh, you know, they 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 were the two winners along with their their elite guy, Trevor. And so it's 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 a pretty cool thing to see you know, there were people there that were pretty cocky. There were Navy SEAL snipers, and uh, <laughs> a you snowboarder one <laughs> people from the industry, and, and 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 a snowboarder and a fisherman won. And they, and believe me, they let all the other competitors know. Amazing. And trash talking was promoted.
2: that's hilarious all right tom thank you so much for joining us we appreciate it we do got to get rolling but uh we appreciate you coming on here and uh everybody thank you for tuning into this uh, special edition of the gun slash bowhunter planet podcast It's been a lot of fun so thanks a lot tom appreciate it man i appreciate you guys
3: having me enjoyed it this
1: has been a presentation of bowhunterplanet.com join the hunt